The Brandon Peters Show may contain explicit language and detailed plot points. For more information on the show, stay tuned to the end of the episode. Here's Brandon. Welcome back to the Brandon Peters Show and the start of our third year here, of course, and some October stuff, Hobart horror going on. Today features a discussion of the 2009 Ty West film, The House of the Devil, and here to help kick off year three. And the spooky month. And returning to the show, one of our favorites, Jamie Alvey. Hello, hello, everybody. <laughs> hello. Uh, welcome back. And welcome to you helped kick off year two as well, I believe. I now I'm just now remembering that. I had a, a group of people, but now it's just you this year. There was a there's a group of people. We had a week long favorites of Brandon's thing. And you were there. Oh. And we we always stick with our low budget scene. Yes, yes, we can't go over a certain amount of money to talk about with movies. So I had a, I came up with that. And I'm like, oh, sh- why have I? Well, granted, most of my show, a lot of my show has been like what other people like, and I'm like, oh yeah, I could I can talk about what I want. And this is a this is a very favorite of mine. Um, what we'll get into with uh, the House of the Devil, and it fits the Jamie and I mandate of low budget, lots of talent. So how have you been, Jamie? What have you been up to? I have been, you know, just writing a lot, teaching a lot, revising stuff, or reading some stuff that's either really good or really bad. You know what being a teacher is like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, you know, it's just a lot of irons in the fire, but it's, it's been going pretty well, actually. Uh, I was I was laughing because I thought it was really funny that you picked um, the House of the Devil because I have been like I watch have been watching like a lot of like Larry Fessenden's '90s stuff, and, and he produced this too. Yeah. yeah. Yes, because I was like, oh yeah, he produced that. I literally turned in a piece last night. Mm-hmm. about his first feature film okay from 91 and i was like the the irony that is funny okay this worked out he's worked out yeah just wavelength right there yep. um and you you entered the uh the face of horror contest that was going around right i i did i think i'm still in the running still in the run- i voted for you every time i see it pop i'm like oh i click Thank in and you. i go and vote uh, so I guess you're my person for it. So that's who, that's who I'm Emily voting for. Emily checked it and she said, you're fourth right now. And I was like, All right. Fourth. <laughs> I was like, I have no expectations. I'm just. That's top five. Know. That's top yeah. five. That's, uh, not bad. So, yeah, that's a cool thing. I hope hope you continue to be there in the running. So, um, thank you. And thanks for always, always for coming back. How many times is this? Is this number four? Four? We four. had. Okay, so we had, yeah, we had um, uh, Flanagan when we did uh, Sound of My Voice, 
Jessica. Oh, four. All right. Four. Four and fourth in the face of the horror thing. So look at that. Uh, so uh, listeners here, uh, what happened in September to the Brandon Peters show? All you gave me was another show's commentary tracks and old space show. Um but thanks for listening if you did. So in September, I went on a vacation for a week. I'm allowed to take those. Um, I went out of town. I went uh, to the um, northwest United States and uh, did that for a week. And when I came back, I had COVID. COVID's not fun. I had I had COVID really bad. So all I could do, I had those backed up. I didn't release the commentaries like I normally do over the summer. So I used them as regular episodes while I was planning on taking a break, but not as long as one as I did. I had COVID pretty bad. Um, you can hear it in my voice on a couple old Space Show episodes because I sucked it up and did a couple with Steven. Uh, and he, he said I, w- I was fine on them. And then uh, on Twitter, uh, old Valencia there uh, noted that I sounded like I had a cold or something, but it was it was COVID. Um, but luckily, me and my family were doing all right um, I'm still having, uh, I thought I was fine. And then I went to mow my lawn and I had to do it in two separate days cause I got pretty winded doing it. So still somewhere in my body. Uh, but yeah, so that's where we're at, but we're back. Um, we're going here. I guess I'm going pretty hard coming back with October because, uh, we got these, I've, uh, Scott Mendelson and I have begun recording the Tim Burton's big retrospective series, which is set to drop in November in seven parts, uh, going through his career, starting with some super obscure stuff, and then leading up to through uh, Wednesday on Netflix, uh, the Tim Burton one. You guys like Scott and I doing Summer of 82 at 40, so we're back with another series, because Summer of 93 at 30, which will be the next Summer of series, is gonna happen in the summer we're not gonna do that in the fall that's but. when I, w- I was i was born in 93 so. oh wow okay excellent so this is for, yeah so this is for you jamie i was a 40 at 40 <laughs> 40 uh 82 at 40 for me 93 at 30 for y'all over there um also uh the out now with Aaron and abe horror specials run this month uh, i believe one dropped last friday uh, as always i'm uh, part of that team uh we're doing different topics i believe the one that went last friday that should have dropped is uh the horror heroes um squad that we put together myself abe aaron and jason coleman uh pick a team of five horror heroes to be our squad going through everything i did mine very x-men focused like i needed a professor xavier a cyclops and i was really happy with my team Uh, also some good picks from the other guys the next one is our monster squad so we are taking the classic monsters in our favorite iteration of each like so our favorite dracula our favorite frankenstein's monster da 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 uh that one's uh they're also doing i won't be on it there's a shining discussion with a professor uh that they usually do once a year they're doing the shining i'll be back we're doing top five horror movie posters of all time and we're talking like art posters not crappy people on the internet that post stuff and then the final week is a commentary for the original nosferatu which turns 100 this year like that doesn't it doesn't feel like that should be 100 but you know you know what i'm saying like it's Mm -hmm. always been there but it it either feels older or it doesn't like depending on the day 
Yeah, it's it's yeah. old but still effective. I, yeah. I love it. I love that uh, about it. But yeah, so those are an out now with air today. I'm not airing them over here. You'll have to go over there, and they are worth a listen. Also, go back to the archive of the horror episodes. Those are some of the podcasts I've been most proud to have been a part of over the years because there's some great discussions. James Oster of um, from here and also JoeBlow.com is a part of that team as well. He'll be joining us. Uh, he wasn't able to do the uh, horror heroes. He submitted a list. Um, and, uh, but he'll be a part of the rest of the specials going on. So all that's going on. I'm running myself ragged, but, um, I'm excited, Jamie, to talk today about the house of the devil. I can tell you like it. I love it. It's perfect. About the deposit, I'll agree to waive all the deposit stuff. You just give me the first month's down, we'll call it a day, all right? It's hard coming up with all that money, isn't it? Uh, it's going to work out. You're not the one with $84 in a bank account and a check to write on Monday. You know what you should do. Hi, I'm calling in regards to the babysitter flyer posted outside my dorm. Tonight's big eclipse is now well underway. I feel a little weird just dropping you out here. It's like in the middle of wherever we are. I've not been completely honest. We're from the desert, you know. You see, we we actually don't have a child. They lied to you. I know. Okay, I know you're right. But it's four hundred dollars. This equals first month's rent and then some, and all I have to do is sit inside and watch TV. This is huge. This one night changes everything for me. Directed by Ty West, written by Ty West, also edited by Ty West. He tends to edit his own, but he edits Pearl X. Like, yeah, he's. I like that about him. Which is Uh, exactly like what. Which is even funnier because we did Absentia, which is what mm -hmm. Flanagan does too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I get that. Uh, Our cast is Jocelyn Donahue, Tom Noonan, Mary Warnov, Greta Gerwig, A.J. Bowen, and D. Wallace. If you listen closely. Uh, Lena Dunham plays the 911 operator on the other end of the phone. Oh, I, I didn't think I ever caught that. Yeah, I, I looked at I that was in my research. I was like, oh, well, it makes sense. Uh, that there's a group of people around. Um, this is Ty West's sophomore film, which is a follow up to The Roost, which also starred Tom Noonan. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on Ty West, Jamie? Before you know, he's one of those that for me is either really hit or miss uh i haven't seen x or pearl yet because Mm. i'm eternally behind on everything okay um because i like the house of the devil 
Um, and I'll probably have to revisit the innkeepers again, okay. but I don't remember like that actually meshing for me. Okay. But it's been years. <laughs> gotcha. So, but I have seen House of the Devil quite a few times, actually. So House of the Devil, I saw this movie and I'm like, I need to know everything about this guy. Like, I, I loved this movie when I first saw it. And I went back and I saw I found the roost and he did this other one that was super low budget. Uh, I think after this, it was like a hitman in the woods after each other type movie, danger, most dangerous game type of movie. Uh, I, and I've just followed this guy through his career cause he's got a real nice touch on things. Um, technically speaking, uh, he made a great found footage movie, the sacrament, which I liked a lot. Did you see that one? I have seen that one. Yes. Okay. Yes. Like there's, uh, several, there's several other I'm not remembering right off the top of my head. Right. I, I still have not seen, oh, is it uh, his Western that he did I, in the yeah. Valley of Violence with John Travolta? I, I haven't seen that one. Uh, I have seen some uh, various TV episodes he's done. Of course, X and Pearl and VHS when he did a, a segment in there. Uh, yeah. Trigger Man. That was his. Uh, it was the film he did before this one. So it came after the Roost. Sorry, I was wrong. Soft. It's third film following Trigger Man, not the Roost. I saw that one. Um, I've seen a, a, yeah, ABCs of Death. Innkeepers. I really like Innkeepers. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like it's got a lot of the same frills as this movie, uh, but with a little supernatural ghost touch to it and modern. So uh, the the. The best thing about the innkeepers is the interplay between Pat Healy and um, uh, what's her name, uh, Sarah Paxton. Yeah, they have a good they have a good rapport uh, with it. Ty West he got thrown in he gets thrown in with the Mumblecore people. Yes, I don't think he's his movies don't really have. I, I mean, he works with these people. These people get yeah. interchanged in movies, but I don't think he's really his movies fit that. I feel they feel scripted to me. They don't, I don't feel. Think, I don't think they have have that aesthetic. I feel like they have more of like a very seventies. Yeah, he's got. A, yeah, especially with a House of the Devil is very like throwback satanic yeah. panic film yeah right yeah the mumblecore crew get uh, if you're wondering what that is it's joe swanberg adam wingard greta gerwig noah bombach lynn, Shel- Late lynn shelton the duplass brothers andrew buchkowski and re russo young are some of the examples but these are films that are they've been like <laughs> dr- dramas dramedies horror kind of but they're like movies where the, a lot of the dialogue i'm guess i guess is like improv ish to a degree and I don't feel like Ty West films, they feel scripted. They don't feel like blah, blah, blah. But Swanberg is the most mumblecore. Swanberg and Gerwig's early stuff are the most mumblecore of it. And maybe the Duplass brothers. Um, but like that's what they got. They called it mumblecore or something. Like, do, they, do they count creep as mumble? Mumblecore? I don't know. There's some other Duplass, like the, uh, well, he's in it. He didn't direct it, but like Drinking Buddies was a mumblecore movie. But yeah, that's, that's just kind of what they. They called like indie film a lot of these indie films in this group for for a while the mumblecore yeah I've seen Amy Simons thrown yeah, yeah. oh yeah 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 she definitely is with this crew yeah. um she's in the sacrament that Ty West does and of course they all get together for your next 
Um, fantastic. But <laughs> oh, Simetz. Simetz, fun story. Like I almost had her on my old show called Cinema Cavalcade for a bit, Ooh. but but she had to go. She had to reshoot uh, Pet Cemetery scenes when we were supposed to record, so I couldn't do it. She couldn't do it. And never never came. I never brought her back. But... You've got to get Amy Simetz. Yeah, You've got to get Amy Simetz. A little too back. important. But I had to convince her. I had to do a lot of convincing of her freaking um, manager or a P- a PR person because they're like, how would, I don't know how, I'm like, how she would fit this. I'm like, no, I'm a big fan of hers. She's done a lot of these cool modern horror movies. And I, and my show was like, I think uh, a good thing would be, um, I always think it's great to hear creators talk about other people's work. I always yeah. think that's fantastic. I always like hearing that. I always talk about how one of my inspirations for this show was Ryan Johnson's commentary for Star Wars The Last Jedi because he talks a lot about his influences and the films that influenced him making that. And I'm like, I can just listen to this guy talk about these movies and how he applies stuff to his films and all that stuff. And that's why I always like creators, writers, stuff like that, seeing this aspect, especially like critics and stuff where they get a bad rap nowadays because people think they don't like movies. And it's like, no, these <laughs> critics like movies more than anybody. <laughs> like, yeah, we, they like, write about them for a living stuff. So yeah, just interesting aspect. But um, yeah, so Simon's took, uh, yeah, and I got her and then it's like, oh, she's got to go back for two weeks to wherever and shoot pet cemetery scenes. So you, you have a story about everybody I bring up, even in like the <laughs> most weird tangential way. Yeah. And I love it because I, <laughs> I at least like once a month now think yeah. about the Lee Winnell story. Oh gosh, yeah. That's I one of my favorite. That's one of my classics. That's one of my classics. Um Oh my gosh, I think about that a lot. Uh uh yeah. <laughs> and Dead Silence did come through my mind about doing for this episode for a second. I was like, Oh wait, that would full circle it at some point, but I went with House of the Devil. Um which yeah, so yeah, so Ty West, he's with those guys. He's never um actually he's doing quite well with X and Pearl right now, critical yeah. acclaim wise, making some you know, A twenty four movies for super low budget that bring you know, people are like, Oh, Pearl only made six million opening weekend. Yeah, it costs one point like one point <laughs> five million. It's six times its budget, dude. It's, <laughs> it's advertising was the was a trailer at the end of the last movie and then they didn't really do much after that yeah like it's doing amazing compared to for like no mark and he's got the best pr possible with martin scorsese like singing praises over the moon about it and saying he he couldn't sleep after seeing it like come on you don't get better than that like I'm sorry. Uh, so yeah, he's he's on a hot streak right now with his little trilogy, which completes with Maxine. Uh, I believe is it in February of next year. I can't remember, but it's crazy. The secret trilogy came out of nowhere. nowhere. Yeah, nowhere. Nowhere. Um, but you know, his big breakout is this movie, The House of the Devil. It got him some acclaim. Um, and I gotta stress to people: if you you can find this movie for free. Um, plenty of places on the, uh, on streamers, which I always recommend. Tubi is awesome. It's got good stuff. It's got trash. It's got lots of TV shows. I think Tubi's great. Um, and it's free. Lots of old stuff. Lots of like, old stuff. Horror. Mm-hmm. And then Emily's over here whispering sharks. Yep. You see whatever <laughs> you want there. I always, I always, Tubi, Canopy, best combo, and they're free. Um, yep. So this movie, people, this is from 2009, folks. Um, 
And this is this predate. I want to note to listen. This predates Stranger Things by seven years. Okay, okay. Ty West was ahead of a whole lot of stuff, um, way ahead. And I was, I was just floored the first time I saw this movie, just because. Nobody was doing this. There was there was a period that had just kind of ended where people were doing like grindhouse movies where they tried to make an exploitation thing and they click a filter to put over that look like runny film, uh, all that stuff. Uh, but he's got an axe. He nails it. Absolutely nails it. Like if you, to a degree where if you showed a young kid this movie, they might actually think it's actually from... Like 1983, yeah. and they, and that's because Ty West never break the film never breaks character. It never winks. It's never in on the joke. He flat out made a lost 80s horror movie. He yeah. shot it on 16 millimeter, all practical effects, no post production trickery here, like a grind one of those grindhouse ones I mentioned. And he leaves no tells, and he nope. just aced it like so this this is like it's plays like an age like it's paced like one it's shot like one he uses zooms instead of dolly shots for things and it doesn't wink it doesn't do like and a couple years later we'd have that movie that won best picture the artist where they made a silent film Uh, and but that movie can't help itself it winks It, it has a musical little number and at the end he speaks Ty West don't do that. He wants his movie to be complete. He wants to put it amongst all these movies and people like not realize it's not an 80s movie. And I love that. And now we've gotten so much of this stuff and like it's obviously over 80s with a lot of things. Like everybody's got the coolest posters of things that nobody had back then. They've got I know you're a 93 baby, but there's a oh, lot I'm of not- I know plenty about the eighties because of, of my parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they graduated high school in 82. Okay. The year so, I was born. Okay. So yeah. So like I, I grew up and got a lot of that stuff mm-hmm. by osmosis. A lot of stuff from the seventies and the eighties. Gotcha. What, what effect did this have on you? Like when was the first time you saw this one and what, like what kind of effect did it have on you seeing this- it? I Did think I first watched this when I was in grad school. So that's okay. been like four or five years ago now. Okay. And uh, I watched it with my mother because if anybody knows anything about my mother, she's a huge horror fan. So mm-hmm. we, we watched this and I was I was just sitting here and I was like, this is one of those situations where you you can tell this is going against this girl's self-preservation, mm-hmm. but she needs that money so badly that she's willing to look past that. Yeah, And I, I, it just, it's just one of those kind of situations that as a woman, it terrifies me. Right. Yeah. Because you, people are sketchy. Yeah. <laughs> that was uh one of those things because I was like, you just get this like awful feeling that something bad is going to happen, and then it's boom, right? <laughs> well, and yeah, it's also playing off like, what if the false fears of that entire decade were real, and like, what if it was real? And I, 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 d- yeah. I dig that because I'm a big. 
enthusiast on the era of satanic panic. Uh, and Troy Brownfield and I have a regular series on this show called Products of the Panic um, that dive into the things of that era. And this is like, this is what people thought was like, they're your neighbor, they they might be worshiping the devil and sacrificing shit. And they and, weren't. And honestly, this movie is kind of weirdly prescient because mm-hmm. it seems like we're heading into the second era of Satanic Panic. QAnon so- is the second coming of Satanic Panic. <laughs> So, yeah, so. and it's like we're hearing all of this. And I'm like, I was like, I didn't have that on my lifetime bingo card. Uh, yeah. Live through second satanic panic. Right. But here we are. And I was like, are they really going to think that people are like doing rituals like this in their basements and stuff? Do they, mm-hmm. do they think of those? They thought they were doing it in the basement of a McMartin school that went to trials. People got arrested, held in jail, and there was no basement there. No basement. Yeah, because I read a little bit about that and I was like, this is, this is bizarre. You can't make a basement where there's not it's a like, like It's like what that pizza gate, what they called it, where yeah. that guy is like, there's nothing right. there. Like this is, it's, oh, your fantasy is far more exciting than the sad truth of our reality. <laughs> like, yeah. It's just, oh my God. Yeah. And it, yeah. So this, yeah, this cashes in on that, which is, it's perfect. It's, it's fun. Um, and. I mean, at this point, I think I'd rather live through the first satanic panic than this one. <laughs> this mm-hmm. point. Yeah, I, and I love the the there are warning signs to Jocelyn Donahue's uh, yeah. character. Uh, her name in the film is Samantha, and Samantha. but she's oblivious to it because it's on the news. Yeah. She doesn't care about the news. There's like the lunar eclipse. The you know, there's clues and stuff. You're she just- finds clues that make that scare her but they aren't telling her exactly why but everything around her is telling her exactly why because we piece it together before she really pieces it together right we're just kind of like oh look at all these little ty west said here's some context clues everybody Mm -hmm. use them you're gonna figure it out way before she did and i think that's part of just the, the the terror that builds because you uh, by the point by the end point you mm-hmm. know you know everything and she's still just kind of right no idea and you're just like oh my god well and we know so people know the type so in addition to being an 80s throwback horror film with haunted house and slasher elements to it the type of movie it is it is a an I'm probably going to get flagged for this when I edit it, but I'm going to let Casey Mesgraves tell us what kind of horror movie it is. But yeah, so it's it's paced. It's very Hitch... I hate to like throw out Hitchcockian, but he has got it down in a way that Carpenter got it down back around yeah. the era he's trying to evoke. Um, he's not. I don't think he's trying to mock Carpenter. He's just pulling from Hitchcock and learning of the best. Oh. Ebert even said Ty West had channeled Hitchcock here in the most effective way because um, it's very suspense. And I know there's some horror fans that would just hate to sit and sit through this, but I'm amused every time watching her wander through this house. Not because you don't know every room in this house. The, the, he he makes the geography clear through the eyes of Jocelyn Donahue. But you have to discover that stuff with her yeah. in the house. We get clues from radio. We get clues from other things. But mm-hmm. 
we only follow her through the house and we get to see what Greta Gerwig thinks of the house for like two seconds. Um, but she's, yeah. So yeah, long story short, the movie is about her getting paid an obscene amount of money to watch an old woman or babysit an old woman in a house. And turns out they're Satanists wanting to have her impregnated with the son of Satan or something like that. But there's no, there's no sex or anything like that. It's a ritualistic pregnancy or something. I don't know. It's uh, yeah. It's very like, there's no like jump scares. Did you notice he like, a lot of time, it may have just been the limitations or of his low budget or what. Is, uh, he shot her from above, looking down a lot. Yeah, I noticed a lot of there's like of obvious stairways, but there's walking through town. There's just random stuff in the house and like down on an angle looking at her. Yeah, it was a real interesting choice. Except in the car, he looked up at them, uh, which was mentioned. I, I watched with the commentary with Jocelyn and. Um, Adam, or not Adam Winkar, Ty West. Um, and they mentioned that the car scene between her and Gerwig, when Greta Gerwig's going to drop her off at the house, they're like, yeah, it looks, it, uh, you got a lot of comments that look very, uh, like, very David Lynch like with E, like it wasn't trying hard to be David Lynch. It just was David Lynch like he captured. He's like, I was not going for that at all, but I can see <laughs> He's like, I can see it and that's very cool, but like, it looked like a David Lynch scene. And I was like, yeah, it kind of looks like it could be a scene from like uh, Mulholland Drive or something. But um, You just got to love a Lynchian accident. Yep, a Lynchian yeah. accident. I like that, a Lynchian accident. An accident, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so uh, Jocelyn Dyer, let's talk about her for a sec. She's perfection here just from a visual aesthetic point of view in casting, uh, she has that Karen Allen Margot Kidder look that was like an it girl thing around the late seventies, yeah. early eighties. Uh, that kind of like later on you get your Lori Petty's Courtney Cox that look like that. But those two were like the OGs of this look. And that kind of yeah. helps sell the 83 vibe uh, just from her. And, and she's, she is someone that I just think is criminally underused. I, criminally because she's yeah yeah she's absolutely to die for gorgeous but she is a tremendous performer and i get excited when i see her in things like you know insidious 2 dr sleep uh mm. commercial like a car commercial that ran for a while but- <laughs> that's how i am you'll just see sitting there and you're just like hey that's yeah i saw her like there's a car commercial yeah. right on i kept saying I'm like where why is she so familiar and i'm like wait oh that's jocelyn like what are you doing in a car commercial you're better than this and it wasn't like hi i'm jocelyn donahue in a car commercial she was just the person in the car commercial i'm like you're a star in my eyes lady like seeing kate <laughs> kate siegel was like in a psoriasis commercial yeah like the same phenomenon i'm like y'all ma'am you are a, you are royalty get out yeah. of this commercial yeah but- it's like no. But the, I, the commercial's probably paying them more than the films are in. So, yeah, that's, a, that's the thing. I love when people are like, "Well, you're an actor. You're privileged." And it's like, "Honey, this is low budget horror. What the hell do you think I'm?" Doing? Right. Just because you know who I am and you saw what I did does not mean I'm I'm yeah. in my pool just floating with money at all. Uh, no, it's not that easy. I mean, it's it. You can be seen. You can look like things are going well but 
Yeah, but no, she's absolutely wonderful to watch follow along. You kind of feel with her, and she's able to craft your sympathy and understanding of where she's coming from in her decision making without a lot of dialogue and stuff yeah. in the movie. And I think that's a that's a really key element. And I, I was like, oh, this girl's destined for stardom. Um, and she's had, I mean, she has a good, consistent working career and does do high profile projects. This is her first lead role in a feature film. She had a bunch of like nameless roles and stuff before that, but um, yeah, Dynamite here, um, real good. And also like Greta Gerwig, uh, her her hair feathers out perfectly. It, it does. It like they both look the part, mm-hmm. and like. What kills me is Greta Gerwig. You know somebody that acts exactly like that character. Oh, yeah. But she does it in such a way that is effortless. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. she really goes in and sells that. And, like, I think with all of her directing work, people actually forget she's a pretty good actress. Too. And writer, too. Yeah. Like, she's she's got, she's got the whole... She does a lot of stuff. Yeah. Uh, she, I mean, she's... Yeah, like I, I, I had to hear that. I'm like, it wouldn't have been what you think. Like going back now, you'd be like, oh, Greta Gerwig, oh. Uh, but back then, she wasn't the prestigious goddess among actors, writers, and directors, and indie darling that she was then. Yeah. Um, she had this movie called Hannah Takes the Stairs that she wrote, and I believe Swanberg directed. That was kind of the big breakout for this mumblecore thing. Uh, uh, so. She's a, she's a get here of their group, but um, she's a nice supporting role. And her death is just shocking. And not because you're like, oh, it's Greta Gerwig. It's the way it's presented, and it's just random and not when you're expecting it to happen at all. You think there'd be a little more torment, a little more obviousness, but no, blam, her head gets blown off. And grotesquely. <laughs> Like, it's one of those moments that, like, when you first watch that movie, you're like, because there's just, everything's just so quiet. Yeah. And that happens. And you're just sitting there like. <gasps> what? what? Yeah. Like, yeah, A.G. Bowen comes through here and he's like, hey, what's going on? Uh, you're like, okay, I don't, I don't trust. Like, oh, you fucking. Oh, jeez. Um, yeah. Like, every self-preservation instinct within me goes off when I'm watching that movie. Like, mm-hmm. even still, I'm just sitting there just like, mm, no, don't do it. <laughs> I know they're going to do it because it's a horror movie. And that's the thing. Jocelyn Donahue really, really sells that. There's that reluctance there, uh-huh. but just kind of also, like oblivious at the same time and i am it's it's mesmerizing really honestly Mm -hmm. and i was just looking to see like what if she was doing anything else with flanagan because i liked that like she had a little supporting role in dr sleep and Mm -hmm. i was i was like did was she announced for fall the house of usher she wasn't but I was like, I would love to see her tagged in on some of the television stuff. Yeah. I mean, she's worked. I mean, yeah, she's, she's, uh, you know, her worked with three horror boffos here with Ty West, uh, Flanagan, and of course, James Wan in yeah. Insidious 2. Uh, but yeah, they, they know what's up. They do. They know what's up. She's great. She's yeah. great. So yeah, it's. Yeah. And like, she has one of the like, 
best scenes of the whole movie though is where she's going through the house exploring and she's got her little walkman on oh yeah and she's dancing and, and yeah that's totally awesome and that's the thing it doesn't come off as like awkward or forced like it really just comes off as somebody you know just vibing through this weird house and i i think about how that could have been a scene that easily failed if yeah didn't have Right, right. No, it it works. Uh, it shows a fun side. Like she can let loose in different ways. Here, she can burst out crying at the dorms. She can dance through the hall. Yeah, yeah. and get through as well. But yeah, she's uh, she has to carry this movie. She's got great support, but we're following her everywhere. We have to buy into her intrigue, her her mystery, or suspense. Her, you know. We have to go with her, and that's hard to do. That's we hard have to, to do. Yeah, because at this point, she's she's our we she's our focus. Mm-hmm. We gotta go look at that hair with her too. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, but yeah, she's great. Um, another uh, person from this this group uh, that is in this movie is AJ Bowen. He uh, at this point he'd been in David Bruckner's The Signal and Creepshow Three. Uh, after this movie is next year, he has Hatchet 2 and A Horrible Way to Die. And he's fun here. I mean, he would, I think he'd like peak in like your next. Like, I haven't seen him in it a lot yeah, afterward, like, but he was a known horror person. And like, he kept, he, yeah, he gave a great performance in a, uh, uh, your next that, yeah. And he was just kind of, he's kind of, oh, AJ Bowen's in this. That's fun. And this is one of his early ones. And I swear, I know it's weird, but every time somebody mentions Tywis, I think about his cameo in your neck. Oh, yeah. Not I, the best actor. Uh, I think I think about that every time. And I'm like, oh, damn, he dies. And that, <laughs> every time I'm like, oh, no. Yeah. 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 But yeah, he's he's fun. These people have a lot of fun together. Um, yeah. Making but like yeah they seem like a fun troop like yeah you feel like oh yeah Wingard's down the street shooting something else and then he's you know not exactly like that but it's like theater actors almost like you have mm-hmm. like it's not unlike what Stuart Gordon was doing with like right. Holmes and Barbara Crampton and like just you know the everybody just creates like this close knit like little artist community and i i think i think it's fabulous honestly yeah, i love it yeah like i used to call like in the early days of the assault and precinct 13 halloween the fall like um escape new york the john carpenter players as i like to call like um nancy keys uh well loomis back then uh Charles Cyphers, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis would join the troupe. Um, just all the Nick Castle, all those people, Tommy Lee Wallace that would work together. And uh, where are we going next week? What are we making? Okay, we'll do that. You know, just the kind of fun. It's stuff so that fun would too. And like, and there are still people that do do that, and I I love it because uh, one person might not show up in this one, somebody yeah. might show up in the next one. They might not tell you if they're going to show up, and then you're sitting there going, just yeah. pointing. <laughs> yeah, Tom Atkins and Jamie Lee Curtis were never in a Halloween movie together, but they were in The Fog together. Yeah. There was a John Carpenter. You know, wait, actually, Jamie Lee Curtis did voice a recording in Halloween 3, but mm-hmm. that's not the same. Um, 
It's not the same as her being there. Being there, sharing sharing a bed together in the fog. But yeah, so that yeah, that's fun stuff. Also want to point out, uh, one of the production designers on this, Jamie, is Chris uh, Trujillo, um, and, or Trulio, or what I don't know if I'm pronouncing the man's name correctly. I apologize. Uh, he's a production designer, but you know what he went on to work on? That name sounds really familiar. Stranger, Stranger Things. Yes. So okay. obviously the Stranger Things people had an eye for this. Um, but this, I mean, this movie, like, now we get this stuff all the time. We get these retro yeah. movies and stuff. There was nothing like this one, like the, an 80s one. There was nothing no. like doing what Ty West was doing here at the time. And now we get all the, everything. We get, we're overloaded with 80s stuff now. Yeah. Um, and like th- you could put Finn Wolfhard in there and he would, he would fit. It would work. Mm-hmm. You could superimpose well, him in the background of one. Yeah. And, you know, also, like there was another movie that came out a year after this or two years after this that came highly touted that if you liked House of the Devil, you got, you got to check out this one. And it was called The Sleeper. Did you see that one? I don't think I've seen that one. And they were like, oh, we they did it. Oh, it's just like an 80s throwback. No. Everybody looked modern in it. They didn't feel right. Like they tried to do a... And they did the, uh, the whole, probably like a filter type thing, a transparency over it. And I, watched, I was just bored and it didn't pace it's, like an 80s movie. Like it, when you... Watch a movie that's like set in like the 1800s, yeah. and you look at somebody and you're like, I know you've seen a cell phone. Yeah. Like, you don't look like the this, part. Yeah. Just because the movie came up with a title card that said 1980 something, you got to do more than that. And yeah. I, I, I hate to bash that people's hard work on production, but it just did, it's just going to show the talent of Ty West and that not everybody can do it. Not everybody can do what Stranger Things does even. Oh. Uh, and that's a more commercial product with money behind it and yeah. overloading on the, like more that, that one's more in the tune of all the eighties happened in a, in a week um, type thing. But this, this here, like he shot 16 millimeter film that helps a lot. Uh, and then the, he also uh, promotionally, they released it on VHS um, in the initial push and a clamshell old case. And it was the first VHS produced since a uh, history of violence, which was the final VHS in 2005. That and cool. now we get V you can buy stuff on VHS all you want now. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm sure this movie plays perfectly on VHS. I just, I hope he cut it to four, a four by three pan and scan version of it. You know, um, this movie just works so well. Like I, I'm still going back to it for this. I hadn't seen it in a couple of years. I try to watch it regularly because I really like this one. Really like, I don't know what it was. So like 2000, like five to this movie, I, I was maybe down on horror. I don't know if horror was in a bad place or anything, but this one, this movie and James Wan's insidious really kicked me back into super passionate about horror instead of checklisting my horror stuff because I've always been a horror guy but for some reason there's this period where it was just all these like remakes and yes and then there were all like the Jap like the Japanese American like the remakes yeah mm-hmm. those and American then you know Japanese films I, yeah. I, d- I dug uh, Saw every year I don't, I don't care I, I wanted them to get to like Saw 
you know, I get up there in the numbers with the saw. Just keep because I love the ridiculous attention to detail and the continuity and stuff in the saw movies. I think it, it's fun. Yeah. Uh, but um, there's those that the found footage was starting to go do it. It was a thing, and yeah, it was. But that time period is just a weird because I think about that time period a lot too mm-hmm. and what it meant for horror because. I did a lot of growing up in that period yeah. too. And my mother, of course, she, uh, excuse me, I'm going to yawn now. Mm-hmm. She, uh, has just was always constantly watching horror and there were quite a few good entries. And then there were a lot of forgettable ones. Right. Too. And it didn't feel like anyone at that time was doing much with the independent scene either. Right. Yep. Yep. That's true. That's where you get your creativity. And I, I don't know where it was. I I, I want to say because I grew up when I was first getting into horror was in that, that famously known dead period in the nineties between 1991 and scream in 96. So, but I didn't know it. I was digging in. I was, I was seeing the new stuff, which it was cool. I was I was seeing new stuff in the theater. Like I, and I loved Wes Craven's new Nightmare. I the you know, was Candyman came out. There was all sorts of stuff. Uh, the slashers were kind of going downhill at yeah. the time, but I was finding stuff. I was just taking whatever. There's a there's a really good suspense movie, throughout horror that came out in that period called Mute Witness, which becomes harder and harder to find. Uh, really great thing to seek out. Uh, maybe I'll do an episode sometime. Uh, it's Alec Guinness's last movie, and he had no idea he was in it. Funny story, but I didn't know. So maybe for someone that 2000 that period there, um, where I'm just kind of like numb to things, this one, yeah, this one and Insidious excited me, and I was like, okay, and I went and checked. There, well, during this period, uh, Raimi's um, Drag Me to Hell came out, and I love that one. So, or within this area, so. These movies restored me a bit and got me to where, and we've been in uh, last 10 or so years have been just a, a great output. A big boom. And like, it's not only just the mainstream stuff, the indie stuff has been just. There's been some good indie stuff. Absolutely yes. Stellar. God, the engine, like the ingenuity that we're seeing from independent horror is. Mm-hmm mind-blowing because people trust that it's funny like people with and i was talking the other day i'm like horror is the only genre you can go where you can get like everything you can get your nostalgia drip you can get your franchise yep. picture you can get your experiments like people will back experiment because there's always going to be a good return because you don't spend as much money and you can let people explore stuff and so it's always i think it's so fun to watch people's trajectories of them going from like low budgets and like stuff Mm -hmm. that that is amazing and you're like you know if they get a little bit more of a budget they're just gonna blow the Mm -hmm. lid off things and it's it's so fun to watch people yep i uh take that journey in their careers so and i always i was always when so ty west someone who i wanted you know give more budget or whatever um he went on to he did a cabin fever sequel, which he doesn't want to talk about. It's yeah. not a, a bad experience for him. But whenever it comes up, like who's gonna make a new Nightmare on Elm Street? Who's gonna make a new Friday the Thirteenth? I'm like, 
Could we get like Ty West and have him like House of the Devil one of those like and give him like no money to make like an old school Friday the 13th? That'd be fun. Why don't we do that? I think people would love it. We're a nostalgia drip place right now. Like, could we do that? Or or Wingard. Wingard can do it too. And so many of like the good um, horror films here lately have been ones that haven't had like exorbitant Oh budget. no! People love A twenty four. Those movies don't cost anything. <laughs> they're, they're, those movies might cost on a cast sometimes, where they have like a hereditary. But that's about. You have a Tony Collette budget, and that's yep. it. <laughs> yep. 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 Yeah, that's it's what it is, and I I love that. You want a headless child? You're gonna have to go make one. Right. Take that as you will. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um. I, I, I will say, so with this movie, I knew early on with, and I'll, I'll get, I'm going to get my nostalgia pieces here, um, when, and I was completely invested right when the title card hit, because oh, it's it looks, Jocelyn Donahue yeah. walking, and it pauses, it's yellow mm-hmm. lettering, and with the copyright info, nobody was doing, people hadn't done that since like the early 80s or anything, like that went away, and it doesn't have the quotations on it too. I think it does. I think it does. Yeah, I'm like, oh wow, this is great. And then watching that, and, and like then starring. <laughs> and when they when they do the end tile cards, and it's paused on her in the hospital with that score, and it's just going. That is genuinely disturbing. That like, oh my really God. creepy because you just the last thing you heard was that she's pregnant and she finds, yeah. she she shoots herself in the head and survives yeah. and is pregnant with some Satan baby. In the hospital. You can't think of a worse situation because honestly, when Emily watched it, she's like, how did she survive that? And I was like, I, because. Satan. That's what I can say. That gross writer part of me that knows this. You, if you put the gun to your head, like she did, it's easier to botch it and you can survive. Unfortunately, Uh, for her in that situation, like that, if there was a time where you wanted to take yourself out for the good of mankind, I mean, oh my God. Yeah. Like that just, that ending just gives me just this big ick. It's a great, it's, and it's the, it's the great payoff for. So quiet. Also quiet building up and then. Yeah, it's such a heck of a payoff. Like you, you haven't been given a lot in the action realm, but it's worth it to get. You know, the suspense gets to it, and then it has a nice little beat of action and gore to throw off, and then just the creepiest ending. Like, yeah, it's, oh. it's like, oh, you're gonna be okay, and then both of you, and you're just like, oh, no, nope. no, oh, oh, um, and then. My my last part of nostalgia is the pizza place that they go to in there. Yes. Because it has the wood panels and the mm-hmm. seats and just, and the pizza itself. Like, I'm just like, oh my gosh, that is, I, I know what it smells like in there. Mm-hmm. And there's the people smoking in the background too. That's yes. great. And they actually put up the wood panels for that. Um, that wasn't, they didn't just like luck out and find some place, but they really got the, one of my favorite aesthetics in movies, especially 80s horror movies, is the college town aesthetic. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Like, I want to live it. Maybe I wanted to go to college then or something. But, like, the the little college town, it's always got a cold sky to it. You can see some uh, telephone lines out. And 
yeah, it just it works for me. So like happy birthday to me. Love wa- watching I, walk around the college. And one thing I like about like Scream Two to bring it even mm-hmm. later is like that college campus is is just old and really cool to look at too. And I like where you can have the college town, the campus, and get that college light. Like I feel like I know where they're at in this movie and it's connecticut i've never been to connecticut but i i just know the feel of where they're living because it reminds me of college town when no one's there or whatever because we don't really see any like extra people just walking around the streets and that that can happen when it's summer or winter break or something like that we that could happen we see that around like because i live in a college town now Mm -hmm. and uh, we have two colleges and a community college uh, and we have several other like small like offshoots of other universities here so yeah it just it all looks very familiar to every yeah yeah, yeah it's just something that happens with it that it works but it does work house of the devil ungodly low budget with high th- and thrills and imp- just the most impressive design. Do we have a number on how much that that costs to make off top? Like, right? It couldn't have been like I know they got their costumes and a lot of the prop- props. <laughs> I know a lot of their props and costumes came from eBay. Um, they just won auctions and stuff on there. But um, yeah, the House of the Devil. The budget for it. Uh, I looks reportedly uh was nine hundred thousand dollars. Oh yeah, that's not that's not a lot for what they were doing either. No, it only made back one hundred one thousand two hundred fifteen dollars, but I don't think it ever got a uh, wide release. It was yeah. mainly a it was limited theatrical release in. October on October 30th 2009 so only played then and then it went straight to DVD and Blu-ray which is not probably figured into that but so with DVD and Blu-ray they had to have made their money back easily that oh yeah that's definitely usually I think where independent films do make their money mm-hmm. is like well, rental mm-hmm. and that's where like that recent um thing matt damon did where he interviewed where he talked about the challenges of film now with streaming that doesn't make filmmakers to anybody any money is that he used to be able to get something like movies he liked greenlit because they factored in dvd and blu-ray sales after and rentals and tv stuff and they're like so they're like well i don't know if that movie will make that at the box office but when it comes to home video we'll make it back there and that was always factored in that is not the case now um and it's a shame because we're not seeing a lot of the kind of movies we want to see they say we want to see in the theater um people just don't know they say they want to and then we see the bottom and all you want to go see is superhero movies but luckily they want to go see horror movies yeah Uh, those make money uh those make appropriate money it's not like they're like setting the world on fire but keep your budgets down you're making your budget back. You're making your budget back. So mm-hmm. yeah, we're seeing some neat stuff though too. Yeah, because of that. Um, before uh, we haven't talked about, and before we move on from, it, I want to talk about the three veteran people in here. Uh, the cameo from D. Wallace at the beginning, uh, Tom Noonan and Mary Warnov. Uh, thoughts on them in the movie because we really haven't talked much about them in the big factor. I'm always happy to see D. Wallace. 
forever and ever because I, my mom loves E.T. Mm-hmm. I grew up watching E.T. with my mother. I stand by she should have been at least nominated for an Oscar for that movie. She it's is, one of the best parent parental perform, most genuine parental performances ever. She is like, uh, it's just, it's always so good to see her. It's like a warm mm-hmm. hug. I can't. Yeah. I can't explain it any other way. Like that's the same way I feel every time I see Henry Thomas too. It's right. just, just some just pure joy. Right. And then Mary Warrenov, every you watch something and then she just pops up and she always gives like this insane performance. This woman is always game for yeah, anything you throw at her. And she's like yeah. the weirder is a better kind of person. <laughs> right. Yeah, there she is just taking her wig off and then getting stabbed by Jocelyn Donahue. It's like, yeah, all in a day's work for her. Like she's always popping up somewhere. Always. Constantly. I, yeah. But that is a perfect Mary Warren of description. I Tom Noonan here, like he is it's like either you're really just this cute nice old man or you're going to like slit my throat and eat me like i just yeah. like it's so one way or the other and i can't tell which but i don't want to be rude <laughs> you know like it's it's like you're either this you are literally either a really harmless old man yep. or you are satan and there is no in between <laughs> he's, and he's got a cadence that's just like oh, what's it? Yeah, it's just it's so he's he's so good. Um really off-putting. In yeah. That. Yeah, you just get the sense that something's off, but maybe it's not. Maybe I'm just overthinking it, you know? Like it's And they both they both are so off-putting. Mm-hmm. Like I was thinking about uh that scene where Jocelyn Donahue expects her to come out from one part of the house and then she comes out from the other. Yeah. And then she's just like, you know, no, no, I was just, I was just startled because I didn't expect you to come out from there. Right. Oh, I, yeah, 100%. It's, oh, so creepy. Um, love it though. Love it though. It so, but yeah, so those are, that's our veteran president. Like D Wallace only shot for a day. She only shows up at the beginning um, for the first scene, but it's a nice way to kick off <laughs> and, and kind of nod that it's going to be an eighties movie here. Um, Plus, you you, you kind of need you need the strength of D. Wallace to get through the rest of this movie, right? Because you're just gonna by the end of it, you're just gonna be like internally. She, she's like, "Hey, young lady, you remember what I went yeah. through in the hills? Have eyes? Well, guess what's gonna happen to you?" <laughs> yeah, God. So, oh yeah, but yeah. So that's House of the Devil. It's a high. Re- it's a super high recommend for me. Always around this time of year. Um, turn the lights down low. Be by yourself. Keep the house quiet. I don't know. I I truly this is one of the charms of horror as a whole to me um, for the genre and definitely I need to show it to my son. He's very into horror right now. We go through things. And I'm like Aww. should show it to him. He's yes. He might, he might dig it. Um, make him make him turn. <laughs> Make him terrified. Yeah, I'm like, I'm just gonna be like, you know, I'm gonna leave you down here in the basement with the lights off. You're gonna watch this movie. I'll be back. <laughs> Bye, son. It's Bye. like dad of the year. Dad, dad of the, the year. year. Dad of the year. So we will move on to our what else segment. This is just where we talk about something else we may have put out in the world, uh, taken in, or 
plug something. I don't know. So, Jamie, what else? Well, I think it's I, I said this before the show that I thought it was really funny that you picked the house of the devil because I literally just submitted a piece on Larry Fessenden's 1991 uh, feature debut, No Telling. And Larry mm. Fessenden was a producer on uh, yeah. Mentored Ty West. Yeah. So, and, you know, he, like, you were talking about, like, in the, like, from 90 to 95, that being kind of a dead period. Yeah. Like, he was always doing something weird. He was. He was one of the, yeah, one of the more interesting presences <laughs> of that time, for sure. Yeah. And like, I'm like, of course, I'm over here writing about this obscure, disturbing Larry Fessenden movie. And you come to me. <laughs> it's like, you want to talk about the house of the devil? It's like, yeah, yeah, of course. I'm always game because I love stuff that's made for like $3 and mm-hmm. lots of ambition. Right. Yeah, for sure. That definitely. So I, I, yeah, same. Hard same. So my my what else I'm going to bring up um, popular talking point right now as we're recording and probably still the next week maybe is Rob Zombie's The Monsters. Mm-hmm. Have you watched this one yet? I have not watched it yet, but right. I, I was thinking about people talking about the colors and not liking the colors. Oh, and I, I said something in passing to Emily about that and i said it looks like he was gonna shoot it in black and white like just the way that the, the oh no 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 he 100 wanted yeah, to shoot he wanted yeah. and then she found out she like jamie turns out they did want to shoot it in black and white and i was mm. like it looks like they wanted to shoot it in yeah black, like everything kind of looks like it would contrast really beautifully right in I, I like the colors um I got to see this movie, I got the Blu-ray before, like a week and a half before. So I had to keep my mouth shut about it because they embargoed me. And I don't get embargoed that's for always, a Blu-ray ever. That's always the fun part is when you, you watch the dang thing and then mm. you're sitting there in limbo under this embargo forever. And you're yeah. just like, I want to talk about the thing. Well, yeah, well, like I'm just like, uh, because I want to, because I saw it. I'll, I won't bury my... Li- so I gave it two out of five. And I've it was a very kind two out of five. Um, I couldn't just quite... I don't think it's funny enough. It didn't get me to like a two and a half or anything like that uh, to be like an average movie. Uh, but I watched it and I immediately knew I'm like, people are going to hate this movie. Just, I don't think it's near as bad as people are going to want to hate it. Uh, I, think, I think they're not going to understand what he's going for because he's... Um, very channeling what the show is. Um, yes. The colors are lovely. I like. The, I love looking at the colors. It's kind of got an interesting thing. It looked a lot better visually than that trailer we got. So mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, something was up with you know. But everybody probably watched the trailer on their phone, and I'm watching it on a bigger TV. <laughs> and and I'm like, okay, this 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 works. There was a joke early on in the movie that I actually legit cracked up at. I was like, oh well. Maybe he might do better, and that was the most I laughed. Uh, but it's it's really the thing is though, like it's really charming, constantly gleeful, mm-hmm. and like everybody's really honing in on this monster stuff. But I don't think people 
are going to watch this. I don't think people watching this probably watched the Munsters or watched it in a long time that are going to hate this and like and not get that. That's kind of what it was. Um, but yeah. I just think, I just think zombie stuff's not funny enough. And like, and uh, there's it's really bizarre because there's a lot of like pop culture jokes and references, but they're all it's it's not like he's using and they're dated. It's not like he's using uh stuff from the '60s to make it relevant. It's like '90s old. Like it's like telling oh. it, it's almost like telling OJ jokes. It's not. It, I don't think there's an OJ joke in this, but it's almost like that. And I'm like, what? This is kind of. Has Rob Zombie been in society for like the last thirty years? Like, what is this? You're expecting the white Bronco joke, and yeah. you get it. And you're you like, don't... why are we doing this? Like, but I mean, it it makes sense for Rob Zombie to be the mm-hmm. one that gives us the Monsters movie. Right? Because... Yeah. No, he's a huge fan. He's a huge fan. One of the things, like I told people when he got the job, I'm like, dude. The, the yeah. Shout Factor released uh, Monster Go Home on Blu-ray and the commentary with my friend Justin Beam and Butch Patrick and Rob Zombie is one of the best commentaries I've ever heard and you will see Zomzo- Rob Zombie just nerd out and he talks about how he was on tour and the town they came to or like an hour over there's a convention and Butch Patrick was there oh. at this horror convention and he drove over in the 90s to go like meet Butch Patrick and he knowed he knows his his stuff up and down but I'm like he's not and I was like I told him I'm like he's not gonna make some R-rated monsters movie it's gonna no, be PG it's, it's gonna be kid friendly yeah which it's he focuses on it being as family friendly as possible and <laughs> and I think and my son watched it with me and he was like he's like this is because I told him I'm like a lot of people are saying it's bad or whatever he's like Oh, this is fine. He was kind of like, kind of enjoying it a lot more. And I, I have a feeling I'm like, this is on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Kids can, kids can access it. Fifteen years from now, we're gonna get those articles like the Munsters was act was good actually articles, <laughs> because I think there's gonna be if kids find if kids access it, it's this weird thing with these zany personalities. Maybe. And they this might. Uh, while we're adults and not paying attention to what kids watch that like 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 your hocus pocus that people didn't like back then but then all of a sudden it's this heralded classic now that was derided upon release that could be happening with the monsters right now in a modern age i wonder if that's his end game honestly it could be because maybe he was wanting to create the next generation of Mm -hmm. monsters fans Maybe um, I I don't know. It's really it's a prequel to like the series, so yeah. uh, like, I push some people towards the old stuff because yeah. I I watched quite a bit of that when yeah. I was there. Yeah, it's like I said, it's not a it's not a it's not good, but it's not a, a time you're gonna I don't think hate unless you're going in wanting to hate or if you're not getting it. But I think I really think he's trying. And yeah. he just misses it in the humor department. I think I don't mind Sherry Moon. I know a lot of people hate her. I enjoy her. Um, and I think some of the side characters, Richard Brake is terrific in this movie. He's like you've never almost like you've never seen him in parts. Um, Sylvester McCoy is good in there. I like seeing Cassandra Peterson, though she's just kind of got like a some of his worst directing comes from directing her. Uh, but there's some fun people and the people uh sherry and jeff daniel phillips and daniel roebuck 
they all get little cameos as these other characters throughout the movie too, which is kind of fun. Um, but it's definitely a COVID movie. There's not a lot of people. There's small sets, but he shoots it. It's a very claustrophobic, but he shoots it huge. It's a really weird kind of experience. But he's got some stylistic choices I really like, too. Like, there's these weird where people have these feelings, but they'll have this neon spinning light sign in the background. I think it's kind of fun, but I think a lot of people are like, this is fucking cheap. It's like, no, that's what things did back then. But I think there's just such a disconnect from knowing what old televisions. I think people know pictures of the monsters they've seen a clip of the monsters but they've never really watched the monsters watched it yeah so but at the end of the day i i I, while i'm singing praises i'm only singing praises because you're going to hear that it's like the worst movie ever made and it's not even close it's almost a solid movie like that's my that's my yeah and that's not backhanded i really appreciate what he's doing but i think it he needs that like hack 10 to 15 minutes off of it and it could have been funnier Rob Zombie, one thing that I, because a lot of his stuff does not gel for me, but mm-hmm. I do admire that he he commits. He's got a voice. He's got yeah. a vision and he does not he back down for no, but people have been telling him to quit writing his movies for two decades now and he's, <laughs> screw you. He said no. He's, he, he's not, he's, he's not, but honestly, like, he probably, like, was there anyone else that could have made a monsters movie since he is so just uh, yeah, deeply I mean, <laughs> like so, that would have known it inside and out. Right. Yeah, like the big yeah. fan doing it. No, yeah. he's about he's about the best you could get that's making yeah. films nowadays. So I think people could like easily Tim Burton could have made a monsters movie. Yeah. Um, but you know, uh yeah, it was a nice. It was interesting to see him try his hand at something way different tonally than we're used to seeing with him. Because it's family. It's hard to think of Rob Zombie as family friendly, but I'm not mm-hmm. opposed. Not opposed to that because no, I, it, it's worked for Eli Roth. Um, he did one of his best films is A House with a Clock in Its Walls. Yeah, uh, I, and no shame in that. I would personally like to see Rob Zombie tackle gothic core because I mm-hmm. think he has a sense of excess and melodrama that yeah. would really lend itself to that. Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, yeah. That's uh, true. Very true. Yeah, I think that like if I think he could really commit to one that's like in the sixties, like Italian gothic horror style, and I mm-hmm. think that that would be a sweet spot for him that I would finally jive with because it's like, I have wanted to, to connect to his stuff, but I just doesn't work. So you'd want to see like Rob zombies, crimson peak or something like like that or Rebecca. I would like to see Rob's. Hey, after the debacle with the newest Rebecca, I would watch Rob zombies, Rebecca. I mean, there you go. Uh, I would watch Rob Zombie's Crimson Peak, yeah. and like I, that's that's one thing that's like you know what I would be interested in seeing that. I would like to see what he could pull off because I think he's got the sensibilities for it. Yeah, I I think I know two of his dream projects. He's got a police drama that he's always talked about, and a Groucho Marx biopic, which is Those again just... so disparate with the rest of his uh i'm pretty sure 
if he were to get greenlit yeah. tomorrow, the the Grouch, uh, Jeff Daniel Phillips would play Groucho Marx for him. I 100% bet that would be his Groucho Marx. Um, I can just easily see that right away. Um, maybe Cherry could play Harpo. <laughs> it's it's always interesting. It's huh? like where is Sherry going to be in this? Mm-hmm. And is I don't mind going? that either. They are a partnership. They are a team. They were their husband. Like f you. Would people get so mad about yeah. that? Like it seems like he really respects her creatively too. Oh yeah, they have a great her relationship. Thing. And like I don't I, again, I don't understand why people get so up in arms because you see because I'm big in the Flanagan stuff. You see that a lot with Mike and Kate, yeah. and I'm like, yes they're married but i'm like their creative partnership is yeah. is solid too and i'm like why are you gonna mess with something that's in my opinion damn near perfect mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. she is a phenomenal actress yep and uh she co-wrote hush with him yeah so i would love to see them write together one more time that's that's on my it'll happen it'll happen i, I need it i need it because it'll happen hush was hush was like lightning in a bottle for me yeah. so uh it, i don't i don't get that because that's the thing i i joked that i said I, i'm i'm looking for my kate siegel i want somebody to direct there you go. <laughs> i want somebody to just be like hey here's the screenplay do you want to play this person <laughs> there you go if you're out there I can give you Jamie's contact info if you would like. Yeah, I'm easy to find. I'm very loud, 99 of the time. 99% of the time. Um, and you've been wonderfully loud here too. So that'll that'll wrap us up for uh, this first episode of year three. I guess I'm still doing this thing now. Um, still having fun. Um, but Jamie, thank you for so much for coming back. It's so oh, easy you. to work with, easy to talk about. Uh, before we sign out, just let people know where they can keep up with all your happenings. You can find me. I have a website now. It's jamiealvey.com. You can find me there. You can find me on Twitter at Jamie A. Wright. You can find me on Instagram at Jamie Alvey. And yeah, I'm I'm always around doing something, having some kind of emotional stress breakdown because work day jobs are stressful when you're trying to be a writer also. So, you know, it's fun. It's fun. We talk talk a lot about, you know, the ins and outs of writing and being so dosh, doggone tired that you can't write and you're mad about it. So mm-hmm. that's just kind of my thing now. <laughs> JamieAvey.com. You can go there and see that. <laughs> awesome. All right. And I am on Twitter and Instagram at Brandon4KUHD. My written work is at Why So Blue, which it's October, and it's always a busy month for me with my Blu-ray reviews, where I have way more than I have time for, Uh, so you can go over there and dive into it. Lots of great new horror releases, classic-wise upgrades, all sorts of things. I just finished a Return of the Living Dead 4K review. It looks better than ever, Um, and I've got a Paranormal Activity box set. Uh, all sorts of fun stuff coming your way. Um, also, uh, remember to listen to the Out Now with Aaron and Abe horror specials where I'm guesting 
and um, putting together, I believe on this Friday, when this releases, should be our Monster Squad episode. If I'm back a week, then it's the Hero Squad one, but I think that one's dropping, dropped the Friday before this episode, so it's all confusing, but out now with Aaron and Abe. And tune in next week here as Jessica Alsman returns, as well as Greg Magoon returns, and a discuss we're discussing the I Know What You Did Last Summer trilogy, which the first turn film turned 25 this year. Uh, you'll want to listen to that because I have a great anecdote about my first date and the, that movie that you'll want to hear. So be there for that. Um, but until then, stay film positive. Thank you for listening. The Brandon Peters Show is a Creative Zombie Studios production. Produced by Brad Shoemaker and Brandon Peters. Written and edited by Brandon Peters. Announcer vocals by Jessica Olsman. Theme song by Metavari. Web design and show art by Brad Shoemaker with Brandon Peters. All music and clips featured in the episode are property of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. Additional information on this and other episodes at brandonpetershow.com. For any inquiries, press opportunities, or sponsorship, contact mail at brandonpetershow.com. The show is available on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are found.